everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. Metabolic health is so important. We know that, uh, you know, insulin resistance, blood sugar, metabolism dysfunction is, does have a connection to um, babies' metabolic function and metabolism ultimately. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and today we're talking all about male fertility and the impact of paternal health on conception, pregnancy, and baby's health long-term. I'm delighted to introduce today's guest, Ayla Barmer, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, functional medicine practitioner, and founder of fertility wellness brand, Fullwell. I've really been looking forward to this. Welcome to the show, Ayla. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. And I have been equally looking forward to this conversation. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about male fertility today, because I think sometimes we can forget that there's actually two parts to this equation and we can really focus on female fertility, but male health and fertility wellness is equally as important. So let's just dive right in. You've shared great information. You're such a good educator and you've really started to shift this conversation about infertility being a female issue alone. You're really disrupting that whole narrative Will you talk to us a little bit about how paternal health and really sperm health can contribute to pregnancy outcomes? Because this is fascinating. Yes, I am. I am so passionate about educating on this because we continue to treat infertility as a women's health issue. And while women are disproportionately affected by the impact of of infertility. I think everyone can agree on that. You know, men play an equal role. So not just part of the equation, they are actually equal. And in some cases they can even play more of a role. It's really, uh, really interesting stuff that I think we'll get into, but you know, to put it into perspective for listeners, you know, about 30% of infertility issues are due primarily to male factors. Another 30% due primarily to female factors. And then there's that remaining 40%, which is categorized as unexplained infertility, which, you know, is arguably the most frustrating (laughs) diagnosis of all, right? Um, But that tends to mean in that category, that tends to mean a combination of both, you know, male and female factors. So it truly is a shared issue again, despite the fact that men are often left out of the equation altogether, or at best, they're simply viewed as having one role, which is uh, contributing sperm for fertilization. Um, In reality, though, you know, men's preconception health, which I know we're going to talk about, um, affects the ability to conceive. So to get that positive pregnancy test, um, but also the health of the pregnancy in a number of ways and baby's long-term health. So we are not going to address fertility issues. This is my main message um, these days is that we just can't fully address fertility challenges without men being included. And it's why in my practice, you know, I got to the point where um, if there was a male partner, I required that they work with me along with, uh, along with the woman. And this is, even if their doctor had run a semen analysis and said, you're good. It's not you. You're not the issue. And that, but because we know that the semen analysis doesn't really tell the full picture. So, um, it's really important. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you're spreading this message. So we're really focusing on the fact that paternal health has an impact in a pregnancy. Can you talk to us a little bit about what types of, um, adverse effects we might see if, 
sperm aren't super healthy or paternal health isn't super strong before mm-hmm. conception. Yeah, gosh, there's, there's so many different angles to take with that. Um, the one, one thing that I, I really like to share because I find this mind blowing, um, in when I came across it in the research, I'm like, why isn't everybody talking about this? But, um, uh, something that I think a lot of people know, and if they don't, we can explain it, you know, uh, women during pregnancy develop, uh, the placenta, an entirely new organ, right. Um, to help nourish baby. It does, it has, it, it has a lot of functions and, um, and ties to the health of the overall pregnancy. We need a healthy placenta to have a healthy pregnancy. And there's been several studies now that have shown that men's preconception health. So men's health before conceiving actually affects the development of the placenta. Um, those paternal genes, which are influenced by paternal health more than maternal genes. And that's through a process called imprinting, which really gets into the weeds of epigenetics. But I, I think the fact that the takeaway that men's health can impact perhaps even more so than women, um, the health of the placenta which is then tied to so many different health outcomes of the pregnancy. So this is why we see research on men's preconception health affecting um, the risk of miscarriage, uh, preeclampsia, preterm birth. You know, these things are, gosh, the burden of that is just placed squarely in women's shoulders again, you know, and, and, and uh, feeling that, but we, the research showing that influence of, of what men are doing preconception and what their health environment, what their total health looks like affecting that I think is huge. So remembering that, um, that that's a direct impact. And so then we can, I mean, we can get into talking about some of the specifics around men's health that really do contribute to, uh, the health of the pregnancy. If we want to go there next. Yeah, I love that. And I'll just, add this piece. I've talked before about my own experience with gestational hypertension. I had hypertension with my second pregnancy and there was so much guilt that I felt about Mm -hmm. that. I didn't slow down enough. I was doing too much. I was too stressed. I was exercising too little and learning that there's actually other factors contributing in some cases it releases some of that guilt or shame or any of these negative feelings that are coming up. So I'm so happy that you're talking about this publicly because I know I'm not the only one who's felt like that. And as you said, the burden is really placed on women. So let's dive into some of those factors. Um, How about, I always love to focus on lifestyle factors at the base of all that we're doing and talking about and orienting our conversation. So what are some of the nutrition and lifestyle behaviors that actually might be worsening sperm mm-hmm. health? Mm-hmm. Yes. So let's get into that. And I should say too, and this is a point that I make all the time. I'm sure you do as well in practice, because when it comes to fertility, you know, things can be just really overwhelming, right? You know, and so we want to recognize too that, you know, there's there's uh, female factors, there's male factors, and then there's like, uh, there's always going to be things that are just out of our control, right? Like we can't control everything. And that does come into play when we think about the, some of the biggest lifestyle factors, environmental contributions to, um, to healthy fertility. So what I mean by that, uh, is really, um, yeah, environmental exposures, right. To, uh, chemicals, heavy metals. Um, they are, I mean, the reality is that we're exposed to more environmental pollutants and chemicals today than any other time in history. Um, and so this is where I, I, one for this reason alone, we could make the case that 
a more, this is why we need to focus even more on our nutrition and the things that are in our control, because we've got an environment, a modern environment that looks very different, you know, than, you know, our historical environment looked like. And that's a question I get a lot. It's like, why are, why are we seeing these increasing rates of fertility and subfertility? And why is it so hard now? Why, why do I have uh, this supplement protocol and all these specific dietary and lifestyle interventions to, to make? And this is one of the reasons we just, we li are living in a modern environment where not everything is in our control, but there are some things that are, and I like to think about it as what are the biggest bang for your buck type of things um, to reduce reduce your burden, um, and toxic, really toxin exposure. One of the things that I've seen in practice over the years that usually is the case for most people is taking a look at like fragrance products in their lives, because those are so pervasive and we know that they contain hormone disrupting chemicals in them. Um, like phthalates, for example, so things like, you know, air fresheners, those wall plugins, you know, uh, car air fresheners, ditching those all together or just swapping them out with maybe like a, a, a natural essential oil based option can, can actually, that can reduce. If you think about it, I mean, if you're breathing in something in an environment that you are in for a significant portion of your day, like that's going to be a big bang for your buck type of a strategy. Um, you know, another big one would be alcohol, you know, in terms of something to consider cutting back, reducing, taking out entirely. And I know this one isn't popular every time I talk about it, but you know, drinking alcohol is just, it's so pervasive in our culture and it's really become equated with socializing and fun, but we know that the reality is, um, that it's a toxin, you know, it's going to compete for resources like any other toxin would, um, and because there is so much out of our control again, like this is something that is in our control. And this is something that I, the way that I describe fertility for both men and women, um, is we're always looking for like, how can we like take some straws off the camel's back? Right. And, and make sure that we don't have so many different things, um, or we can reduce the things that are competing for resources to protect our fertility, because your body is always going to prioritize really everything else dealing with the immediate threats, right. Then over, you know, over, um, fertility. And that's just, that's survival, you know, that's really evolution. Um, and so when I say resources, what I mean are nutrients, antioxidants. So we want to think like, you know, things that are going to zap that. So those environmental exposures, alcohol, and then, you know, I'm going to throw as another, because this is such a huge category, smoking, vaping, things like that. You know, the thing about sperm is that they're very sensitive to oxidative stress. Um, which we can get into defining. I'm sure you've talked about it before in your, your podcast here, you know, with Gus. Um, smoking generates a lot of that, even the chemicals that are in vaping products, um, you know, and the, the flavors and things like that. So putting that is going to be removing a huge straw off the camel's back, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I think it's important that you mentioned that we have to exist in this modern world. So we bring modern solutions and that means adding nutrients and avoiding the exposures that we have control of like alcohol, like smoking, like vaping. So I think that actually is a super realistic approach. And I usually talk to people about this preconception planning timeframe in the, you know, in a 
lovely situation a year, but maybe six or maybe four or maybe three months before they're trying to get pregnant. But now we're making these very intentional choices to support our fertility. And so it's not that we can never have a glass of wine, right? But we're just choosing to do really fertility supportive things in that runway before conception. So that's super approachable. Uh, I thought maybe we could dive into some of the things that we do want to focus on. I'm thinking of some of my favorite lifestyle mm-hmm. factors. I know that there's some nutrients that we could focus on. So on, on the positive side, are there some things that are your go-tos for really giving sperm health, paternal health a boost? Yes. Um, there's, there's really four top things that I would consider being most impactful. Um, and, hopefully some of these overlap with yours. We get to talk about any of the others that don't fit, but you know, first and foremost, and if you put it really simply, we really want to flood the body with the right stuff to combat the things that we can't control. Uh, like we just talked about, such as certain environmental exposures and even age, because age does matter for men too, when it comes to fertility, you know, so, um, top of that list for me, um, is eating a diet high in antioxidants and omega-3 fatty acids, you know, so think fruits, vegetables, seafood, including shellfish, which are uniquely high in sperm supporting nutrients like zinc, selenium. Um, we want that colorful antioxidant rich produce that are just full of nutrients to be included in the diet, the more, the better when it comes to veggies and fruit. Um, number two, exercising routinely, or just really just moving the body the way I've always described it to my clients and practices. Like we just like visualize just this (laughs) fresh, like nutrient rich oxygenated blood, like traveling through your body and giving all parts what it needs. I mean, we really want the brain and the reproductive organs to be communicating, you know, for, for ideal, you know, optimal hormone balance, um, and, and for every part of our reproductive system to get the nourishment it needs. And so just moving the body and keeping things circulating is just so important. Um, and sometimes that means just incorporating a little bit more movement into your day. Like if you have more of a desk job, um, that kind of thing, like getting up, walking around, kind of sitting back down, that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily mean, um, you know, uh, unattainable kind of exercise goals, right? Like just moving your body. Um, and then sleep. I mean, this is so I, you talk a lot about this. I know I'm so on social. So do I sort of, uh, you know, getting good quality sleep and enough of it, ideally as closely in sync as possible with the light and dark cycles, because our circadian rhythm, our internal clock is really very much tied to our reproductive health. And, it's one of the reasons why we see more fertility issues in shift workers, you know, in the research too. Um, and uh, fertility issues changing depending on where you live by the season and time of year. So we just, we have a lot of data that, you know, um, that really supports why we've got to kind of try to work with our circadian rhythms, our internal clock a little bit more. Um, and then I would, the last one I would put is, is supplementation because, I think, again, there's a real good case to be made for why we need more support than we have throughout maybe history. Um, because, you know, we're not going to do all the things perfectly every single day. Um, there's gaps in our diet. There's, um, all sorts of things we could get into about our food production system and why some of it's less nutrient dense than it once was. Right. So we want to fill in the gaps with appropriate supplementation to make sure we're really hitting those key nutrients. Absolutely. This is so fun because I would say our 
strategy is 100% aligned. Which oh, that's is wonderful. <laughs> so fun to hear about. Um, I, I am so happy that you mentioned this piece about, you know, you don't have to run a marathon, just get up and move your body. And there were, there's a really interesting paper that I've shared before. Um, and it showed that men who had a sedentary, essentially a desk job, they had 50% increases in sperm DNA damage mm-hmm. if they just were sitting there. And so I tell people, just set a timer, just get up and let some of that testicular heat dissipate so that yes. you're not causing DNA damage to the sperm. And that could mean you literally stand up in your office, go refill your water cup and come back. It's just mm-hmm. letting that that pelvic blood flow move a little bit. So I think that's really um, important to mention. And then the sleep, I just can't emphasize enough how important that sleep is. I know you and I both love to talk about this because it seems so simple. I think we take it for granted. Like of any of our lifestyle factors, if we're going to let one slip, I think it's often sleep. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'll catch up on sleep later. It's fine. But when we look to the research, there's really interesting data. Uh, They took these college students who I think maybe needed the funds from doing the research and they sleep deprived them. And they found that men who slept less than five hours per night had significant reductions in their testosterone production, like 20% lower, which is huge, Mm -hmm. especially when you're looking for male fertility health. So I always return to lifestyle factors. And I think it's especially important for sperm because, um, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll ask you this question. Once you start implementing, let's say, lifestyle changes, the nutrition changes, how long should we expect it to take to kind of see some benefit in terms of our sperm health? Yeah, I mean, for for that, it's obviously I'm going to preface this by saying obviously it's it's dependent, right, yeah, on what what's going on, right? Like, how much do we have to address? That's why, as you pointed out earlier, earlier, if we have, if you think, you know, that, um, having kids is sometime in your future, there is no, no time that is too soon to try to evaluate what your overall health looks like. Right. Because there might be some things that just take longer to address, you know, than others and will set you up for success so that, because it's, it's so hard uh, for everybody when you get to the point where you're like ready for baby. Right. And you're trying and it's just not working. And then it's like, okay, we got to actually back up here and take a pause and really address like the underlying issue here. Because, you know, again, the, the, the reason we do that too, is not just so you can get a positive pregnancy test, but so that you can have a health, you're building a healthy family. You know, you have a healthy baby um, because the things that are going to be impacting fertility and ability to conceive are also the same things that are going to affect, um, the health of the pregnancy and baby's long-term health. So addressing them is, is so important. And I would say on the, on the minimum, I mean, sperm are constantly being produced, um, and they're, they're forming, uh, at a, at a constant rate, which is a little bit different than, um, than for women, but, uh, around that three months mark is probably the minimum where you're going to want to do any sort of like intervention, work on some of these things to see an impact. Like if we were to measure a semen analysis before and after, I would say no less than three months. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed with that. Uh, And what I sometimes think it's really encouraging how well 
sperm respond to some of these lifestyle Mm -hmm. and nutrition changes. I mean, when I typically work on female fertility and it's great, we can do a lot of good, but I feel like sperm are so responsive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like you, you almost get this fresh start too, since they are, (laughs) they are being produced and regenerating right in. And they're there. You there's really, when it comes down to it, I think that, um, well, the male reproductive system, I'm not sure if you would agree with this, but is generally less complicated than the female reproductive system. And it just, the interventions wind up being a lot more targeted, a lot more clear, you know, we've got good data. We know what to do to help, you know, um, it, the hard part is implementing it into the lifestyles, you know, isn't that the truth? The hard part is making it really happen. Yes. Um, Ayla, I want to go back to this environmental exposures because I have had this question in my mind since you were talking about the various exposures. I've done a a little bit of reading about how these toxic exposures Mm -hmm. in a man can actually influence um, the conception process. So can you Mm -hmm. speak a little bit about how those toxic exposures might affect the uterine um, microenvironment? Yes. So we, we do have some good data research from, from couples undergoing IVF. So a lot of our fertility research does come out of, um, of those settings and it's, it's useful. Um, there was, there was one study that looked at couples undergoing IVF and, um, the researchers found that paternal exposure, so men's exposure to phthalates, which I mentioned are very common in fragrance products. So in very pervasive um, that men's exposure to phthalates influenced the early stage of embryo development, which is, um, they believe was primarily due to the fact that these phthalates, uh, were, uh, causing more DNA damage in the sperm. So we, we know that, um, embryo quality can be impacted by men's exposure to chemicals like phthalates. Um, there was another study that measured the concentrations of flame retardant, which is something that's used in, it can be used in clothing. It's definitely used in furniture. Um, it's, it's also pervasive. Uh, and so this study measured flame retardant in urine samples from couples undergoing IVF. And the researchers concluded that higher levels in men were associated with impaired oocyte fertilization. So again, fertilization coming back directly back to the sperm's health. Um, there was also a meta-analysis that looked at, um, men's occupational exposure to herbicides, um, uh, specifically, and they looked at actually a range of herbicides, but, uh, pentachlorophenol PCP, which is used in more wood related industries. And that demonstrated, um, or the exposure to that increased the risk of lymphoma and leukemia in the father and the offspring. So, and babies, you know, which is scary. Right. And I, I know this is scary stuff, but we have to talk about it. Right. (laughs) So that we can really understand the impact and what's at stake here and why it's so important. Um, and in cases where men can't avoid certain exposures, and I think a lot about clients I've had, you know, with, with their professions and where they work, um, Again, that makes the case where we, they may need even more antioxidants, more nutrients in special care, you know, in other areas of their health and wellness routine to compensate for that. So those are a few studies, but gosh, there are so many, um, 
out there on heavy metals, all different kinds of, you know, glyphosate, which is a real big concern for sure. Uh, and it's not like, you know, sperm are just simply, uh, you know, being delivered to the egg. I mean, the semen, the fluid, I mean, it can affect, um, their signaling, uh, in there that affects, um, receptivity of the, the female reproductive organs to a pregnancy, you know, it's, there's a lot more to it than just fertilization. So, um, some of these chemicals, like I'll just kind of wrap this up. I mean, I, men who have elevated levels of heavy metals, uh, you can sometimes see that in semen, seminal fluid, and that can, um, actually transfer to women and impact their levels. This is kind of wild research, you know, but really by being absorbed through the vaginal tissue, you know, so there's, um, yeah, a lot to consider there. This field of research, I think is really going to take off here in the next I don't know, maybe decade, but I definitely have my eye on it. I know you have your eye on it because it's truly fascinating, this transfer and shared mm-hmm. exposures. Um, really, really, really interesting. Uh, and you kind of touched on this, but even when these topics seem intimidating, it's our job to stay curious and to ask the question so that we can do some risk mitigation. So I use a tool called the Toxin Exposure Questionnaire to try to get to the root of some of those occupational exposures so that we understand, not that you have to quit your job, but can you use a ventilator? Is there Mm -hmm. something that we could modify to make these exposures less um, frequent or less intense? And then, like you said, adding in the antioxidants, doing what we can control to kind of mitigate some of those effects, I think is so important. Yes, absolutely anyone who's listening to this, they're heading to the bathroom. They're like doing an audit of all of their personal <laughs> products. What can I get out of here? That's scented. I tend to send folks to the skin deep database by mm-hmm. environmental working group to search their products, get a toxicity score. Are there any other resources that you're using or advice you have about kind of lessening some of those exposures? I like that resource too. And I think just being mindful that there's a lot of companies out there that do a lot of greenwashing, right? And so it really seems like they're the better product. Um, And, you know, not to bash certain brands, but one that just comes up time and time again, when I talk to clients is um, Mrs. Myers, and I have a a specific (laughs) with that brand because it's just, it really is like being sold through all of the health food stores and like the sites that you feel like you can trust for a lot of your, your products that are, uh, don't have these type of chemicals in it. And that is just so, it's so heavily fragranced. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely one to, to look out for. Ooh, Ayla, we might need another follow-up, like 15 minutes speed. <laughs> Ayla's got a bone to pick with these companies so that we can know <laughs> what's on your mind. That's thank you. Anyone who's listening is doing their their audit. Well, um, we we do try it full well. Like one thing we try to really do is curate lists of of vetted. Um, supplements. I've got at least one other dietitian on my team who is probably as passionate as I am about this because she reads the research. And so we, we try to vet, uh, really thoroughly vet similar to environmental working group. I mean, that's a great source, but, um, some great products that we have also tried and used and like enjoy and our work, you know, um, but are, are safe. Yeah. I think that's actually a great point that we, we sometimes have to do a little trial and error with our more clean products. I'm thinking of deodorant. I get this question all the time. Like, mm-hmm. ah, how do I find a deodorant? So having the tried and true list, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to open this up that I, I did a little 
asking on my Instagram stories and said, what questions are coming up for you about sperm health specifically? So I'm hoping I can pose some of these questions to you. Multiple people ask me this question um, because I have a dear love for talking about inflammation and I talk about it all the time in terms of female fertility and how it affects ovulation and implantation and fertilization and really every process. Mm Will you talk to us a little bit about how chronic inflammation might actually impact sperm health? Yes, yes. Um, so when I think of inflammation, you know, when I think about anything, and I know this is your, your also your training, and I think lens that you filter things through is like root cause. Where is it coming yes. from, right? And so um, a theme that is true across the board for fertility, but definitely, definitely for men's fertility specifically is oxidative stress. And I mentioned that because oxidative stress over time can be a root cause and and arguably the primary root cause of inflammation in a lot of inflammatory conditions. And so if we think about it that way, it starts to kind of narrow down, like, what do we do? How do we identify it? Right. Um, So I like to think about it that way. And the reason why oxidative stress is so important is, you know, sperm quality, which includes, you know, quantity, um, motility, the movement, uh, morphology, which is the structure. It all depends on a balance between the body's antioxidant activity and free radicals. Um, and so nearly 45 to uh, 40 to 50% of male factor infertility cases are, there's an abnormality in the sperm quality. And in many instances, elevated oxidative stress is really the primary contributing factor. So, um, low levels, um, of what's called reactive oxygen species, ROS. This is a little bit, this is a little bit, I'm getting into the weeds, yeah. but oh, I love it. it. <laughs> you know, it plays that it, that plays a key role in immunity, um, intracellular signaling. So that's important, which is responsible for it's important for sperm because that's responsible for sperm maturation and, and the fusion of the sperm with the oocyte. So we're talking fertilization there and, elevated levels of ROS, um, this, these reactive oxygen species, on the other hand, can, can lead to oxidative stress as a whole, which then promotes inflammation. So it's kind of a cascade and that, that increases, um, you know, the risk of chronic disease damages to sperm DNA, DNA, um, decreasing sperm's potential to fertilize an egg, um, and develop a healthy embryo. Um, and we also know that if these, this ROS is high, these reactive oxygen species, because we're not getting in, we don't have that proper balance of antioxidants to free radicals, then that can lead to hypoxia, which is, um, really low oxygen levels in bodily tissues. And we just talked about when we were talking about movement, how important it is to keep that oxygenated blood flowing to the reproductive tissues between the brain, reproductive tissues, and through the rest of the body. So that's, um, that's another way in which that can lead to problems and, and inflammation. There's probably, I mean, gosh, there's so many specific studies to looking at like, you know, uh, men with, uh, arthritis, inflammatory arthritis will be more likely to have, you know, sperm quality issues, um, really across the board. If there's a chronic inflammatory condition, you're, you're going to see, think about it, like, you know, resources being taken away to deal from sperm quality and sperm protection, they're being shunted towards dealing with that inflammation, you know? 
Yeah. Ooh. Okay. I have so many things. I hope I don't forget any of them, but you opened up the door for me to talk about my recent obsession, which is DNA repair genes. And this Mm. is directly related to what you were just talking about, that there's some research coming uh, out about the way that we can repair DNA damage after an egg has been fertilized. So essentially the, Mm. the bare bones of the story are the sperm meets the egg. It goes through an enzymatic reaction that allows the sperm to transfer its DNA into the egg cell. And then the egg cell, if it has adequate antioxidants and mitochondrial function, it actually goes to work repairing DNA damage from the sperm. And this is awesome and so amazing. And humans are so cool. But I always Mm -hmm. think about how hard that work is if the Mm -hmm. sperm isn't healthy, right? And so if there's all of this oxidative stress, then that DNA repair post-fertilization might not be as effective. And then we see adverse pregnancy outcomes. So I am always like, let's set our, let's set our egg cells up for success to do this Mm -hmm. post-fertilization DNA repair and really have a healthy embryo, healthy pregnancy, healthy postpartum timeframe. So um, that's just so fun to talk about. The other piece I have to sprinkle in here because you mentioned like there's all of these sources of oxidative stress that might lead to inflammation. And I just Mm -hmm. had a fantastic conversation with a functional dentist who was talking about the role of periodontal disease in sperm Mm -hmm. health. And I think that's something we really take for granted that inflammation in the oral cavity can enter systemic circulation, can cause inflammation in the testes. And then we see all this damage to sperm. So I'm just making the case, like, this is why we do a body systems approach, even if it seems like it's a reproductive issue. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's, and again, if we just think about it, like, you know, I really, I really believe from an evolution perspective, and I think this is, there's a lot of data to support this, that again, we're going to we're, our body is going to prioritize everything else, you know, over reproductive health and reproducing, you know, and so we've got to look to all the other systems, like what is going on? What is out of balance? And it's, it's why a functional approach to fertility is just like a match made in heaven, you know, because it is getting to those underlying imbalances, dysfunction, root causes, you know, of the fertility. And it's just, that's, um, rather than, I mean, the acute conventional model where we're just trying to manipulate things to achieve pregnancy. It's, it's, um, we're just setting ourselves up for so much more long-term success, um, and bigger than us. I mean, this affects, um, reproductive rights and the health of communities and our, our, you know, there, it's just so big, you know, like how important it is to work with, on fertility. Yep transgenerational health. You're really thinking big picture here. I see the vision. Um, Before we move on from this inflammation piece, I'm going to link this to nutritional interventions because I think we both see a lot of women who are dealing with insulin resistance and we're working on that with diet and lifestyle, but men aren't screened so often for mm-hmm. insulin resistance. And this is a significant contributor to oxidative stress. And so this is something that I'm I'm doing a fasting insulin with my dad's to be. I just want to see what's going on. So, I mean, once we know, we can kind of put our couples like you said on a preconception plan together, mm-hmm. which is so supportive of fertility and beyond, right? It's not just their reproductive health, it's their cardiovascular disease risk and their risk for cancer. Um so again, just 
making the case that that thorough preconception workup for the male partner is so vital because there's things that we can catch and we know what to do about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because again, through, if we get, if we think about it, um, from an epigenetic standpoint, which is really, um, you know, how both, uh, men and women, like how their health is, what their health is going to, how their health is going to affect the long-term health of baby. Um, there's so many, so much epigenetic imprinting that's happening in, um, those early stages and even, you know, starting, starting very early on. And so, um, what is going on metabolically with men and just in general is, is going to, there is going to be transfer, you know, that, um, talking to, you know, the, the embryo and ultimately the baby. And so, um, yeah, a, a metabolic health is so important. We know that, uh, you know, insulin resistance, blood sugar metabolism dysfunction is, does have a connection to, um, babies, metabolic function and metabolism ultimately. Ooh, yeah. What a motivator. Sometimes we talk about sustainable behavior change and how we really have to anchor into our why and really connect to that piece so that we really want to put the work in to do the behavior change. Mm -hmm. And wow, what a motivating factor to know that if we make these changes now, we can set our future offspring up for success in their health trajectory and avoid many forms of chronic Mm -hmm. disease. That's Mm -hmm. so powerful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it comes into play too with even just even more specific, um, things like men eating, meeting their protein needs, you know, like, so if we make it really specific, um, you know, there, that plays a long-term role, uh, in the health of offspring. And, you know, I don't, I think, um, you know, meeting protein needs is if we look at conventional recommendations, you know, like RDAs and things like that for protein, a lot of people are probably meeting their protein needs, but arguably protein needs are set too low for definitely for women and also for men. Um, and you know, there was a recent, um, fairly recent study that looked in, it was an animal model study. Um, but it found that, you know, male mice that ate a low protein diet, um, their, their protein coding gene, which is called ATF seven, um, which is responsible for fat metabolism, cholesterol production, it turned on and that led to more metabolic reprogramming in, in baby and offspring. Um, wow. so it's, it's really important because all these things that, um, and it's, it's a lot, you know, I mean, the things that we're doing are ultimately the signals that are going to be transferred to baby about the, how their body and metabolism needs to operate for their best survival, you know, in, in life moving forward. And so, I've always encouraged, I mean, the range of protein needs really varies so significantly by person, um, depending on how active you are in large part, but I usually say like anywhere from like half a gram to a full gram, you know, of protein per pound of body weight, um, is a pretty good goal. And that's a lot more. If you start to do the math, it tends to be a lot more than what most people are doing. So, you know, that might be 30 for men, you know, that might be 30, 40 grams, you know, protein per meal, as long as you're having regular meals, you know, yeah. if you're not, then you have to, um, you have to consider that too. This is a personal goal of mine to eat more protein lately. So I'm really resonating with this. Do you have any favorite trackers or apps or any mm. tools to help track macronutrients? So I have kind of two, two things that I like. So 
one for, for the person that wants to really like dig into the data, like, and get real nitty gritty. I really like chronometer and I've used that with clients for years. Um, because, uh, you know, I can kind of see, they can see, um, but consider your personality type, you know, and consider how many things you're trying to achieve too. I say that because I think it can, it can get overwhelming really fast with the tracker. So my recommendation was something like chronometer, which is going to give you everything from your macronutrients, like your, your calories, your protein, your fat, your carbs to vitamins and minerals. You know, it tracks a lot of those, which I love. Um, but it's because you, it will help you see some gaps, but, um, you know, just, I would suggest using it as, um, pick a few typical days, plug it in and see where you're at and make some tweaks. Do not do it every day religiously. I think that that's um, a recipe for total burnout and not having the bandwidth to work on some other things that may be needed. Um, and then for like uh, those that are just like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna plug things in like that. Um, which I have those clients too, and I can also appreciate it. I, I like to think of things like more like a plate, um, like how are you going to build your meal? And what do you pull in? And so, um, and, and sources of those foods. So put really simply, um, a lot of people have heard this before, try to get half of your plate, vegetables, produce, you know, um, produce some, you know, berries, colorful produce. That's really what we want to see for like half the plate. And then there's another substantial chunk, like a fourth or more, you know, where that's going to be your protein. And if you choose an animal source protein, you're going to get a lot of bang for your buck, right? Like you know, deck of card size piece of, of meat tends to be around 30 grams, you know, protein. But if you try to achieve that with like beans, lentils, not that those can't be incorporated, you're going to get, it's, it's going to be a, um, a ton. Uh, it's going to be harder to get to the protein needs in a reasonable yeah. way. Right. And then you have, um, you want to get fat in the mix as well. And then some, you know, complex carbs with some fiber, um, that that's a great way to think about it, I think. And, and it becomes kind of like a, okay, how do I build my meal each time? You know, you can even apply that to snacks just in some regard. Yeah. Love that. That's, I actually have been using chronometer exactly how you said, just to do a little check-in every now and then, like, am I meeting these goals? And it's so cool that vitamins and minerals that you see. And if we're working on sperm health, how wonderful to be able to look at vitamin C and zinc and vitamin A and all of these great male mm -hmm. fertility supportive nutrients, which leads me perfectly into my next question. Another question from a podcast listener who wrote in and said, do I need to consider some nutrition testing for my husband before we start trying to conceive? What, what's your perspective? Yeah. So in an ideal world, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll run some, some tests to really look at all your micronutrient levels. Um, maybe try to assess if there are some current, like, like environmental exposures that you're, you're not aware of. Like, so looking at heavy metals and some chemical exposure, you know, there's a lot of functional tests that can be really helpful to get a lay of the land of where you are. So we can help make some I, I think the functional testing will really help to um, help get you to more targeted in, interventions faster. And sometimes that's just so needed and helpful in the fertility world, because it's like, you've been trying to conceive for a while maybe, and you know, you're ready for baby. And it's like, let's not just do a generalized approach. Let's like really zoom in here. <laughs> so ideally speaking, yes, but I would say at a minimum, 
you know, if doing like a full micronutrient panels, not, um, in the realm of possibility for whatever reason, um, including financials, uh, you know, I would say at a minimum, get your vitamin D checked. I mean, vitamin D is so critical for fertility across the board for both men and women, but, um, for men, we know it plays, um, a, a really big role in a number of, uh, in a number of different ways. Um, I, the other reason though, that I do really like micronutrient testing is that, you know, you can start to see patterns of what might be going on, you know? So if, if all of your antioxidants are quite low, then we know there's probably a source of oxidative stress that we need to go look at. That's why, like, I like to start with micronutrient testing because, um, again, we can see where to go next and where we might need to dive deeper. If it's not clear, um, if all your B vitamins are low, I tend to think, okay, is there a digestive issue going on? Um, you know, what's, what's happening there or your fat soluble vitamins are all low. Then we kind of know, okay, you might be malabsorbing fat, you know, like let's, let's look at, um, you know, pancreatic function and your digestive juice production and, and all of that. So it's, I obviously look at things through the lens of nutrition because that is my specialty and how I'm trained. Um, but uh, but really, there's so much that you can get from a good you know micronutrient test. Yeah, wonderful. I did micronutrient testing on myself, and I was shocked by the results. It was so much worse than I thought it was. <laughs> Because I, I eat so healthfully, but I was like eating in front of my computer, eating while I was distracted. Mm -hmm. So my absorption was so compromised. And I, I wouldn't have realized that I would have been like, oh, I'm doing the right things. I'm eating the right foods. If I hadn't done the testing, which forced me to look at my meal hygiene and contextualization mm -hmm. of my meal time. So I'm a fan. It reveals some hidden gems at times. Ayla, we've talked about so many important insights today, and I have to end our episode today with a fun question. We're headed into summer in my part of the world, and that means we're socializing, we're having friends over, and I'm making appetizers. So mm -hmm. I have a kitchen challenge for you. Mm -hmm. The challenge is you are tasked with creating a male fertility boosting charcuterie board. What ingredients are you including? I literally did this last night. I'm, I'm like, I mean, I'm known, I am known in my friend group in town for my charcuterie boards. It's just, I, yes. I, like, I love them. I have so much fun putting them together. So this is a really good question. And actually I love it because you can, this is where you can like make it really fun. And actually it's a good date night sort of a thing to do too. Right. Okay. Um, you know, where you can really pack in a lot of different things. So I would definitely include, um, this is a great place to incorporate a food that I think is otherwise more difficult and maybe not as, um, appetizing to include. And that's like a liver pate, you know, maybe get, get a good one or make one where you can like add spices and you've got like a balance of like maybe some pickled fermented vegetables and nice crackers. And like, so it's incorporating, um, liver in a way that's actually feels decadent and yummy and special, um, without it, um, being so flavor forward as it can be, if you're just taking a, a bunch of liver and trying to, to fry yeah. it up, which is not my favorite. Um, I love, and I make this a lot, you know, smoked oysters with some good crackers and like a hot sauce, like a fun hot sauce. And that's cause smoked, you know, oysters, any shellfish, even if you did like a shrimp cocktail or something, they're going to be really rich in zinc and selenium. Um, and I didn't mention, I mean, liver is like a multivitamin in itself. It's got, it is just packed. There is no better source of folate, which is, is as important for men as it is for women, actually, when it comes to fertility and pregnancy health, um, 
but, uh, you know, folate and choline, so important, um, vitamin A, all these things we could do whole episodes on. Um, I always put red bell peppers probably cause those are really just my absolute favorite vegetable out of all of them. I've always loved them. Um, my kids actually eat a lot of them. Cause I, I think I just ate so many in pregnancy and you can, they can, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, I always think about how, you know, even really early on in a pregnancy, like how babies can actually taste, you know, what mom is eating. So, um, yeah, red bell peppers though, are also, they're a source of lycopene, which is so helpful for sperm quality, um, berries, you know, for phyto, uh, antioxidants and phytonutrients, maybe like an olive tapenade, you know, for healthy fats. So yeah, I think that that's what I would, um, I would include. Okay. This is going to be a beautiful charcuterie board listeners. If you make your version of the fertility boosting charcuterie board, take a picture, tag us. I really want to see what you're all making. Ayla, it's been such a pleasure to talk with you today. I am so appreciative of your efforts to spread this word that male fertility is worth the time and the effort and the intention. It's been a joy to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, likewise. Thank you for having me. To our listeners, it's always an honor that you spend your time with us. To our wonderful producer, Paola Martini, thank you for all you do. We'll see you next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaliawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.